0: Sometimes I wish I could just plunge in and just go big, you know. I see some companies that are, are younger than me and they're making millions. But then at the end of the day, I always say I like to baby step. I, I need to digest every moment so then it doesn't get out of control. For any entrepreneur out there that is wanting to do something, you really have to think first, at what moment would you be happy and you're good, you know. Because like success can be very greedy can mean so many different things, but at the end, it really has to align with your values. Welcome
1: to Here's How It's Done, brought to you by the Women's Enterprise Centre of Manitoba, the go-to place for women looking to start or expand their businesses. I'm Kate Friesen, and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm an entrepreneur, too. I know firsthand that there's no one surefire recipe for success. No magic formula for that decision to plunge in and go really big or to take baby steps, but if it sometimes feels like uncharted territory, the good news is that I know that I am not alone and neither are you. There are others finding their way, defining their own success, making their own map. And that's what this podcast is all about. Real life stories from enterprising women. Women who dream big and get there in baby steps. Who trade the possibility of millions for success on their own terms. Women who don't lose sight of their values. And then that clear-sighted vision takes their businesses to amazing places.
0: Women who make a path for other women to shine. Like my guest today. My name is Andréanne Dandeneau, and I am the founder and CEO of Anne Muller. Andréanne goes by Anne for
1: short. Anne's company designs, makes, and sews award-winning eco-conscious fashion wear, inspired by her Métis heritage. That all happens right here in Winnipeg. And these award-winning collections sell to customers across Canada and beyond. I've been planning to have Anne on this show for a while now, because she did a pretty big rebrand and expansion just over two years ago. And I've been really curious about what it takes to scale up with a set of values rooted in slow fashion, made in small batches, in-house with natural and organic fabric, basically breaking the mold of fast fashion and doing it in grand style. I mean, this is a business that encourages you not to consume too much. And how do you run a business where you are manufacturing and selling products and you're encouraging people to buy less? For Anne, the answer to that begins with how she was raised. What is something that you learned to value or you mm-hmm. learned to do mm-hmm. when you were a kid that you still use all the time in your business now?
0: Um, it's definitely um, the sustainable part. Because um, I was brought up, you know, just using what you need, um, never overconsumption, always creating from what we have. So I think what they have taught me is to, to be creative with what you have. It's It's very minimalistic-ish approach. And I still use that. If you think about it right now in my business, but uh, I guess you can link into my culture too, the Métis, where we were brought up very um, humble about the planet and and very conscious about what we put on this planet. We did a lot of outdoors activities, uh, camping, and and you know sharing meals, music. It was just this whole culture of of but yet uh, respect. So I think those teachings um, I definitely brought to my company and, and also share with my employees. That's how we, we hire. We, we try to find the same values uh, in the employees so then we can grow as a team. And your values are really clearly posted on your website too. So you
1: share them with your customers mm-hmm. as well. I found that really striking because you've just covered almost... All of them in what you just <laughs> said about how you grew up. Mm-hmm. Your heritage, a do-it-yourself innovation, planetary health and well-being. And the one you have right at the top is all people. Tell me a little bit more about that. We nurture collective displacement, helping people find their place in the world. Mm-hmm,
0: And that's all about inclusivity too, um, uh, you know we believe that you can't be inclusive without sustainable it goes hand in hand you want it to be open to everybody and I think that's why we made a, a point this year to to create more clothing for all women not just to create a plus size but to create a um, clothing line that um, and to extend our sizing chart to to fit all women to include everybody that wants to be in this in the sustainable world because I Seriously, I, I truly believe that is the future and there's no way back. Like we really have to look forward and every business need to be responsible for their own actions and look after this planet. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> totally agree with that.
0: I'm like, oh, I can go on yeah. and on, but I don't want to. <laughs>
1: we'll, we'll dig into it in different ways. That's for sure. Before we dig in any further, let's go back to where the business started. Anne has been designing and sewing clothing since she was 14, so it wasn't surprising that she went off to one of Canada's top design schools in Montreal. But she came back to Winnipeg to start her very first business in 2005 as a sole proprietor. Her first line of clothing was called Hug Me. Anne ran her business out of her parents' basement and has been growing that enterprise and her team ever since. When I first met you, you were beginning to think about rebranding your business, but that wasn't the first time. You've gone through quite a few business names, and and there's a little bit of a story with each one of those shifts.
0: Yeah, like at the beginning, I didn't know what it would be. I I saw myself in as artist and creator, and to be honest, I, I baby stepped all of it, and so uh, and I'm I'm okay with that because I was able to digest every part of the journey. But uh the beginning, it was with me and my sister. She was helping me a lot. So it was called MJN. And then we started uh, getting... Uh, and M.J. is your sister. M.J. is my yeah, sister. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, my <laughs> twin sister. You know, she's a huge part of my life. Uh, she's my soulmate. So it's just to have her name with mine. And, you know, we had fun just creating things. She would do my design, my posters, and help me out. But then, you know, it's always about uh, stores. They wanted to kind of carry my, my clothing. So... Uh, They had a hard time with the MJN and they would say it differently. So I said to my parents, "Hmm, I think I need a different name, but I want something French. And so we did some research and, and it was so interesting because at that time they said, why don't you use your name? I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, it's too hard to say. Plus, I don't want to be in the spotlight. No, and people see me. I'm a very humble designer. I don't like to be in the spotlight. Um, I, my success is not just because of me. It's because of people surrounded me and my family. Huge, you know, help. So we came out with Voila par Andrianne. Um That worked out for a little bit, but then, you know, I grow. I start realizing I had such a hard time connecting with Voila. I had a hard time designing for Voila. I think that's the biggest part. I wanted to to be more of the avant-garde designer. I I did couture pieces and I just didn't see it meshing with Voila because it couldn't tell my story the way I wanted it to say. I think at that point I had to be okay using my name. Um... But it's so interesting. Sometimes it's just a self-esteem thing because I was scared. Uh, every time you put out a collection, it's, it's, you know, it's very scary how people will react, how people will like it. If it doesn't sell, it really is hard. It's almost so I was trying to hide behind my label because I didn't know if I was a good designer or not. And after a while, I realized, no, you have to know that you're great. You're you're good And be proud of your name and your heritage. And you are proud of it because you incorporate it in your collection. So why not use the name that tells the story? After actually taking a course from you, it really made me think, be proud of your name and tell your story. That's definitely something I would say to new entrepreneurs or to people thinking of of starting a business is the key is to really think look at yourself and, and where you've come from and tell your story because it's unique. Nobody can steal that from you and you're the only one that can um, tell it to the world and be unique, you know, mm. and stand out. Like
1: how important the name of your business becomes then because you felt like it was like this, like you just talked about a two-way street. Like <laughs> you were growing mm-hmm. and you were hesitant to like really own the name. On the other hand, when you called it that name,
0: it cramped your style like wow so mm. like picking that name is a big deal oh yeah sometimes I think about wow we we had three name change and that's okay because I've grown through that innovative my, my brand you know I, I felt I couldn't connect with Voila as much as I wanted to so I said the next name I choose I really it has to be the end and that's that's it I think it was actually our marketing helper at that time. His name is Dave Maddock. And he told me, Anne Muller, why don't you use your middle name? And I said, oh, genius. And I felt comfortable because it's not my full name, um, but it was part of my name. And I felt like, yes, it could be a persona. It could be we can I could relate to her. We can create this character. um, And uh, yeah. So Anne Muller is kind of like your avatar? Yeah, I guess so. You can say that. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I guess in this new age of technology. <laughs> There's someone else who's linked with the
1: name, though,
0: isn't there? My Yeah, my ancestor. So sh- her name is Catherine Muller. You know, the whole collection is based on my heritage and, and mostly her spirit. So I just felt like, oh, it just made sense. And it's definitely something we can grow and express her values to. So tell me how your business has changed,
1: not just with the name, but how you've grown into that name.
0: We uh, we rebranded just before covid Great timing. <laughs> so we didn't know that. But we didn't have enough time to kind of travel the province and the country to, to kind of tell the people about our name change because we used to do a lot of trade shows. You know, we did as much as we could um, online. And actually, well, was after having the course with you, Kate, about telling your story, I knew I had to tell my story. I just didn't know how because I'm such a behind the scene kind of girl. Um I had to learn how to do that, and and also I had to understand the importance of telling people what we're all about and what we do. So that was a big part of the 2019 rebranding and ongoing today too. Um, and then I had I have my partner Jody, um, and she's just content guru, and so she sees what I do and she sees. Our story and so she's able to put that in writing and I love our duo because I'm the creator I have uh, all the um, the visions and I do things with my hands and my you know creativity and she can put it out in the world so over the years we were able to baby step talent our story a bit more and more and more and um, we uh, started creating community which I never had before And I think that's super important, too, because then you have people following you, people respecting you, and also saying, hey, I have the same values, too, and uh, I love what you do, and they want to be a part of the bus. And Mm so I feel like uh, I love the ride. We're always trying to be better, do better, and so anybody that wants to be on the bus, then... Please go. <laughs> go on the ride. Okay, I want to hear about the back of the bus
1: right now yeah. or like
0: the behind the scenes because
1: right now we're sitting in an office looking out onto, the, that, that's the Red River, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The Red River. Mm-hmm. How beautiful <laughs> is that? Yeah. Off of Osborne. But behind me and behind this little wall, there's a lot of activity. What's in between... Us here in the office and that shop in the front is super significant. Yeah, the little buzz. Yeah. yeah, can you talk a little bit of, about what's there and how things are run and how that weaves in with the values that we've just been talking about?
0: So we're sitting um, beside the manufacturer, um, which is so it's so cool because it's actually woman-led. I'm super proud of that. It feels good to be able to to come to work and know that everything you've created and put into people's hand, is made by these wonderful women that puts, um, you know, heart and soul in, in sewing all the, these pieces, all the way to also getting her fabric knitted in Canada too. It was always a dream of mine to keep production in Winnipeg, because I'm like, why not? Um, and I've always wanted to keep jobs here, create jobs. And I follow you on, on social media, and there was a post about a particular
1: role that was really significant that you had a woman in, and I believe it was the cutter? Mm
0: -hmm. Our cutter is a woman, and usually cutting fabric, um, it's men. I've never met a woman cutter until um, we met Sarah. And she said, yeah, I used to do that in Colombia. And so I said, really? Okay, well. And she said, well, I haven't done it for so long because she came here and started working and did not get a cutting job, but got got a sewer job. So I said, no, no, you're going to come in and start cutting with us. The smile on her face, um, the fact that I, I trusted her doing what she used to do. I, I love that. And I, I love the fact that we can be independent and we can support each other. And I love the fact that we can also, as individual women, we can actually inspire ourselves or each other and say, this can be my career and I'm super proud. And the fact that the whole team, know that we're women-led, they're like, power to the woman, you know? And I just feel it's it's just empowering, especially because manufacturing, fashion, uh, there's so many careers out there that is men-led. And so um, it's hard for women to speak up or to be viewed high. Um, I know I've always and still have trouble sometimes negotiating because I'm a woman or running my company because I'm a woman, I'll always have men that will come talk me down and, and things like that. And we all have to build a stronger backbone. And it's, it's sad to, to think of that. But, uh, you know, we are resilient. So, yeah.
1: And it's amazing to walk through there and actually see the clothes being made mm-hmm. as opposed to going to the mall and picking up a shirt for mm-hmm. five bucks. Yeah. Tell me about the challenges of expanding in this particular way, in mm-hmm. a way that I guess is called slow fashion. Yeah. And the, th- mm-hmm. the thread that runs through it are those values that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So what are the challenges
0: business-wise in doing that? Mm-hmm. Well, with COVID, I had to pivot because I had to make a decision. Do we continue with this uh big production because when I was doing trade shows across Canada we had to produce a lot and then we would go to these trade shows to sell off the rack but we didn't know what would actually sell I had an idea I would come back in December with all these boxes of clothes and then try to sell that again and it was exhausting doing these trade shows so with COVID hit it really gave us a, a break. So we started doing just-in-time because we would get orders, and I thought, well, we're going to cut it. Okay, cut, cut. And personally, with the shortage of um, fabric, because our yarn comes from China, but then gets knitted and dyed in Toronto or outside of Toronto, so our knitter was having a hard time getting the yarn in in order to knit our fabric. So the just-in-time came just-in-time because I could only cut what we were selling. We would keep our fabric as long as possible so I was able to fulfill orders. So what does it mean to buy something just in time? Like 90% of our products are just in time. Um, you'll see Zoya, she ha- she's cutting. So she is doing all the orders that has just came in from last week and this weekend. The second is, um, well we have some stock in the boutique and that is often when the sewer is making an order, so she's, she's making a pair of pants, we're gonna give one more and we'll call it the showroom. So then she can sew that one and the one for the showroom. So Lindsay, our customer service, she can sell it to whoever's coming in to shop. Um, and then the third is our zero waste collection. So during Christmas we take a break Right now I have created my designs for zero waste, but then we stop producing and we use all the remnants and then we produce in January our zero waste collection. We'll keep our basic um, available online, but we cut down a lot on everything else just so we can put a nice focus on our zero waste production. Right. So there's a the zero waste, there's the just in time. So I'm wondering, do you get that other side of like, oh, but I need this right now. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And that that could be challenging, but I think it comes down to um, those that want it right now, then they can go somewhere else and buy it. You know, for me, it, first of all, like you, you pointed it out, it reduces waste. We can offer customization, which is something for me, slow fashion, because you get something fit for you, which means you'll wear it more often, which means you're going to love it versus just something off the rack. And you're thinking, yeah, I think, I think it fits. I'm not sure. We'll see. But then you never wear it and it, it gets put in a in a bag. I do believe like this is the future and actually we have to create a circular economy, a circular fashion economy because it, it's already almost too late. Like we really have to think of the future and producing less and just producing what people need. You know, I think every company should really look at their own model and see, okay, how can I produce less or how can I f- find a way to help this planet you know if everybody did a little bit then customers will re- realize yeah we don't need instant gratification um, it's like bringing back the old days where you went to your tailor and then they had this cute little fashion show in front of you and you said, oh, I think I like this. And then they would measure you and, and you would pick your fabric. Like, that's what I want to bring back because that was slow fashion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to ask, you now to take the other side of that coin
1: and tell us about some of the challenges. This is amazing and, and you're working with those values. Mm-hmm. Think about two or three challenges in doing the work this way. Mm -hmm. like whether that's financial or finding the right customer who understands what it means to invest, hiring, whatever it is, take me to a moment when you just went like, ah,
0: what am I going to do now? (laughs) Well, I thought of that during COVID, (laughs) you know, when we had to shut down. Um, But then we started doing masks and uh, but... um, To be sustainable, it's often not profitable because to do my zero-waste collection, it takes a lot of time. And if I really calculated my time putting things and helping the production, oh! But I think we have to offset it with other products and try to think, okay, well, um, we just have to really think and be creative. Give me an example. How have you done that? So creating smaller pieces like the scrunchies. So creating a product that's just a bit lower cost, but people will just buy more of that versus a lot of my other products are a little bit more higher priced items. Um, I had realized producing more and putting things more at a bigger discount was worse than just making it just in time and it might cost me a little bit more to make it. So now we've, we've kind of stopped doing the 50% discount because... Um, we don't need to and I don't think it's it's necessary to discount a product that a human being is hand cutting and hand sewing. It takes away the value of it. Uh, what we like to do is, is give the 15 to 20% sometimes discount because it um, allows those that just can't afford a full price item to be a part of the sustainable world and actually have a taste of what it feels to have something made in Canada, made in Winnipeg, um, to be a part of the circular economy. And they might say, you know what, I'm going to keep my money from Christmas and I'll buy myself a nice pair of leggings or one pant, you know, that's the consumption uh, behavior that we want to try to, how do you say that, um... Teach, yeah, and and encourage. So I want you to dig a little further into challenge Mm because there's got to
1: be a moment, Mm -hmm. at least one that you can think of that you would just went like, I just want to walk away from this. Not the whole thing, but like Mm -hmm. walk away from a certain endeavor or feel like I'm stuck. I don't know how I'm gonna move forward. Yeah, and I know you have gotten unstuck. So if you can go into that stickiness and then how you got unstuck, because. One of the things that I love about hearing other people's stories is mm-hmm. I'm never going to be a fashion designer, yeah. <coughs> but I will learn mm-hmm. by how somebody in that business, mm-hmm. like you, mm-hmm. might face a challenge and I can go,
0: okay, so if mm-hmm. if Anne could do that, then what can <laughs> I do? There's always things that have been stuck. Like production is always delayed. We're, there's always bottlenecks, places. Um, what I find that helps me is I have to stand back and i have to look at what's happening and then make sense of it of and then you know figure it out i do find when i work so much in the company i i get lost in the problems because i i'm just i'm not i just go 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 it's a duality problem of of being a, a retail company and want to be sustainable and promote circular fashion you know how do you how are you profitable but yet you don't want to be promoting consumption so that's a challenge but I think there's ways to to bring your story and just to to bring your values out and that's how you can tell people to buy better and buy less and still be in the in the retail Mm. business how do you get that perspective? Because when you're deep in,
1: mm-hmm. and every business owner I know, I mean, mm-hmm. you have to be deep in. What are the practices that you have that gets you to stand back and see the bigger picture or go, okay?
0: Well, I'm super lucky because I, um, I have, well, I call it the leadership team um, where we, it's mostly my family. <laughs> it's my brother, my sister-in-law, my parents, my partner. Um, and we meet once a month, and we bring the issues to the table. And, and these are all people that uh, I admire that have experience in the industry of, of entrepreneur, or in life. And so for me, I'm very lucky. I get to troubleshoot with them, and they will give me, you know, their feedback and their expertise, um, suggestions. But um, one thing I, I always do is I baby step it. Sometimes I wish I could just plunge in and just go big, you know. I see some companies that are, are younger than me and they're making millions. But then at the end of the day, I always say I like to baby step. I, I need to digest every moment so then it doesn't get out of control
1: you know what, I hear it so much now, the word scaling up. And at first, I actually didn't even know what it was. What is that? What is that? <laughs> you know, you've got to scale up and you have to have like a structure to do that. And you should scale up, Kate. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't know. And I always say these days, I just want to scale deep. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so when you think about describing how you've expanded your business, mm-hmm. it hasn't been scaling
0: up in the usual way as in terms of more product. Product, yeah. A huge amount of staff. Because mm-hmm. I was just thinking about one question, uh, maybe we'll ask her or, or not, but,
1: you well, know, what...
0: Answer it, whatever okay. it was. Because, <laughs> you know, what is success to me? Yes. And for me, it's where I see the company running when I'm at home working on something else. Or I see my employees being happy and, and having a fair wage. You know that's success for me that i've I've created this this company where it's self sufficient and it's still profitable and I can see the difference in people's lives in the planet and what we are offering maybe there's more we're donating more like that's success for me it, often i've I've had people asking, so how many units are you making for them that's success that you want to go in the millions I'm still at three thousand a year you know it's not huge I had to kind of sit down with that because I realize for any entrepreneur out there that is wanting to do something you really have to think first what is success for you what would at what moment would you be happy and you're good you know Mm. Um, because like success can be very greedy it can mean so many different things but at the end it really has to align with your values and if I want to be millionaire with like a big huge mansion i would have to think Anne, is that really you is that really what you want or is that what people are telling you you should have because that's what success is you know in in the world so take me to a moment one of those moments when you went
1: yes i'm doing exactly what i need to do Mm -hmm. i'm remembering who i am in this world and i'm standing in it
0: (laughs) both feet I think the ones uh, that I can remember lately is when I was working with the the ladies uh, from the inclusivity line around COVID time um, I needed more from this brand it needs to stand for something and we need to you know open our arms to everybody and I know I had already started doing a lot of customized um, clothing for plus ladies and so I said no We have to revise our our sizing chart. But to do that, I didn't want to just go into my my sizing chart and start making patterns and just expand the the patterns. I said, no, we need to really understand what is going on and what can I do better that they're not finding in other brands. So I decided to just create a post and put it online on Instagram. And we said, looking for a woman um, size 18, I think, to 34 for fit. Fit size or something like that and we just started getting so many names and and com- like comments and people uh, sending their emails and so we got over a hundred ladies it was overwhelming because I felt like wow this is amazing first of all and um, we just started contacting them back and then we would get them into the boutique and we would get them to f- try a bunch of different clothes we would talk to them they would give us some really good feedback, a couple of designs that we actually got inspired by what they were saying, and so we did that for six months and we just and then we did fit number one and then we would do a full set of fit number two uh, we would uh, do adjustments and get called them back in and so that was really cool too because we just created this nice community i've never done that before, and it felt so good because it felt like I actually um, was able to to help. Because at the beginning of starting my company, my mom always told me, she's like, whatever you decide, make sure you help. You help people. And so I didn't know what that looked like, but I'm like, okay, well, I'll make these clothes and do this and do that. But uh, it's probably at that moment when uh, meeting all these ladies, that's, I really felt like, um, yeah, that I was opening our brand, our culture, everything to to more people and what did it mean to them to actually be consulted they were being heard you know they were being heard they were being valued finally felt like they had a place here which is you know I'm like wow you should have always had a place it humbled me and and I still feel so grateful because you know they were comfortable enough to talk to me about their experiences and also just to let me in yeah. yeah, that's a great process. That's super <laughs> inspiring. I guess my last question for you is looking ahead.
1: What's the next baby step or two?
0: Mm. Well, we definitely want to be circular. Our next baby step is to open this Revive program where people can bring back their end Miller and then we either um, fix them, mend them, or we repurpose them into a new zero-waste piece. You know, another part of being sustainable, it really pushes your creativity because it, you have to think of different ways to create. And so for me, that's uh, always super exciting. We're looking at biogradable lycra. Um, we would love to use a biogradable fabric where, you know, where we can actually collaborate with different farmers. Yeah, the movement is definitely how can you be more sustainable? Um, and at the same time, we have to stay innovative in order to stay profitable. Definitely, some really inspiring circular fashion ideas. What's the
1: biggest surprise in the last year or two? Okay, besides COVID, <laughs> what was what was another kind of big surprise? Either like a whoa or a amazing.
0: Um, you know what? To be honest, it's uh, definitely the support of the community you know like before COVID oh my goodness it was hard to be in competition with all the other companies of box stores and everything else you know Um, and definitely after COVID like it's almost like it gave perspective to the community to people around us to say you know you have your neighbor right here Let's, let's support them and to think about your your own country economy so that definitely surprised me because I've always wanted that, you know, for 17 years, always say, hey, we're here, hello. And then finally they see us and they see everybody else that's local. It feels good. And um, I hope it continues like that. I hope that people don't um, Mm. forget about us. But um, we're here for our own local economy, so... I hope that people remember, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking oh, yeah. time out of like, and I know we're coming
1: up to Christmas. Yeah. I'm sure it's crazy busy, but thank you so much.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Kate.
1: <laughs> That's Andréanne Dandono, And I highly recommend that you check out all the amazing fashion she has to offer at annemuller.ca. That's A-N-N-E-M-U-L-A-I-R-E C-A. That's where you can also find out more about her company's Revive program, a circular model that allows their garments to be resold, recycled, or upcycled into new products. And while you are there, check out the video she's posted about how sustainable fashion creates spaces for everyone, no matter what size you wear. I first met Anne when she signed up for a workshop series I teach called Make Your Story Work For You. You can find out more about that at my website, thestorysource.ca. That's all for this edition of Here's How It's Done, brought to you by the Women's Enterprise Centre of Manitoba. And if this podcast got you interested in starting or growing your own business, head over to WECM.ca to find out more about the Women's Enterprise Centre's business plan course and a lot of other ways that the centre can help you succeed in business. You can subscribe to Here's How It's Done through your favourite podcast app. If you are interested in businesses that are built on the slow movement, I recommend the episode called Dishing on Food and Family Business. It's from season one, about slow food at Adagio Acres. And from this season, you could check out Saying Yes to Joy. Find out more about the slow flower movement at Masagana Flower Farm and Studio. Theme music for this podcast is by Peter McIsaac. Additional music written and recorded by Charlotte Friesen. This episode was mastered by Madeline Roger and produced by me. Until next time, I'm Kate Friesen. Thank you so much for listening.